0: If you have your Bible, if you would please open it at this time. So we're going to look at Hebrews eleven twenty-three 23 through 28. It's found on page 1008 of your pew Bible. I've entitled the sermon, Faith Treasures Christ More Than the World. Faith Treasures, Counts, Reckons, Christ, of greater worth than the world. By way of context, in chapter 10, beginning at verse 19, there was a shift ever so subtle as the the preacher, the writer to the Hebrews, went from uh, an indicative to more an imperative he begins a series of instructions he he's laid out before his congregation the great doctrines of the great high priesthood of the lord jesus christ how how jesus is better in his priesthood how the new covenant is better how the blood that jesus shed is better and now he begins to exhort them because he he knows that they're they're faltering they're weary just like me and just like you. Some have even departed and left because the the persecution has intensified, the the name-calling, the mocking. You see, because the writer to the Hebrews understands the church to be in the wilderness, that this world is not our home. It's called the, the present evil age. So he sets out to give a a a portrait gallery, if you will, of of illustrations of Old Testament saints who by faith endured, who persevered to the end, and so won their reward or were granted their reward. Beginning here in verses 23 to 31, the author wants us to understand that, that saving faith, now listen, saving faith, that is justifying faith, real faith, because there are a whole lot of species of faith in the Word of God. Not all faith saves in the Word of God, but saving faith, justifying faith, faith that unites us to Jesus Christ, the last Adam, our righteousness. Trust Jesus Christ in the midst of suffering. It trusts Jesus Christ through every trial and tribulation. Today we're going to look at Moses, a, a servant of God who by faith considered, considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now, if that doesn't give you pause and stagger you just a little bit, as I'm going to say later, then perhaps you need to continue to read it over and over again, asking the Holy Spirit, to do that math, that the sufferings of Christ, the reproach of Christ, is of greater wealth than all the treasuries, than all the gold, than, than all the silver that's in Egypt. That, that staggers me. That's a right hand. That's a hook, right hook. Let's read, beginning at verse 23 through 28. Again, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So there's always this futuristic dimension to faith. And I want you to notice this with Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses When he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he, or because he was looking to the reward, by faith, He left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith. He did all of this by faith. Even when faith didn't make sense, Moses... By faith obeyed God's word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we would pray and we would pull down heaven and ask that you would rend the heavens and come down and be our teacher. Lord, that you would turn our eyes away from worthless temporal things while to be enjoyed in this world are not ultimate. Only you are ultimate. Only you are the reward of your people. So give us grace, just one degree even this day, that we might be transformed and leave this place more like Jesus than when we arrived. May it be for your glory, Jesus and for our good, eternal good. We pray this in your name. Amen. It is rightly said that faith will always make itself known by the choices it makes. Not only what faith says no to, i.e. the world, the lust of the flesh, pride of life, so forth, but also to what faith says yes to. See, there's always two components to biblical saving faith. It says no to certain things, and it says yes to other things. And this became ever so true to me as I began to study Titus two eleven 11 through 13. I just want to read it to you and kind of think about it with you a little bit in the background as we work through this text this morning. Listen to Titus 2, 11 through 13 and if you haven't memorized this, I would encourage you to do so. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So it appeared. It appeared in Jesus Christ. And notice what it does. This grace that brings salvation is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And simultaneously, not only to renounce certain things, notice what it says, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we reflect on this particular text there in Hebrews, with this other text of saying, yes, to godliness and no to the world and to ungodliness, I want us to explore and think with you out loud about how grace enables us as Christians to make choices that are consistent with our faith. Choices in life that are consistent with what we say we believe. For example, how did Moses get to the place Where he considered, listen, where he considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. How do you get there? You just wake up one morning and go, I'm just going to treasure Jesus more than I treasure the world. Is that how it works? I don't think so. It doesn't work that way for me. And if it works that way for you, would you please speak with me after the service? Because I want some of that. So first, what I want to do is just work through the text, verses 23 to 28. I want us to notice there, there are four references of by faith there in the text in this account of Moses, and we're going to use these four references to divide up the text, and then we're going to conclude by looking at how Moses and every saint overcomes the world, the flesh, and the devil, that is, the, the riches of Egypt, and choosing and adoring and Prizing Jesus over those things in the world. So first, verse 23, what's interesting here as we look at this first by faith is that the preacher does not begin with Moses' faith. Do you notice that? But the faith of his parents. Notice what 23 says in Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was a child, was hidden for three months by his parents because they say that the child, they saw that the child was Beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now the reference here is to the Old Testament reading that we had this morning from Exodus chapter 2. During Israel's enslavement there in Egypt. You remember when Pharaoh wanting to consolidate his power and to hold fast to it. He saw the, the, multipl- the multiplying of the Israelites. Became fearful and he began to say we, we need to kill these Hebrew Sons. So they, they made this edict to throw the boys into the river, casting them into the Nile. We're told here that by faith, Moses' parents, seeing the child was beautiful, hid the child for three months. Now it says baby Moses was beautiful. Is there anything, any such thing as an ugly baby? Well, if there is, you better not tell the parents. But he's beautiful. What, is, what, does he think, what do you think he's getting at? Well, I, I think he's getting at the, the fact that Moses' parents, by faith, Knew that God's hand was upon the child. They knew that something was unique about this child. He he had the it factor by faith that God was going to use this child. And the and the parents, not fearing the king, feared God and heard the child. Now remember how this might play there in Hebrews, right? These folks are suffering. They've suffered property loss. They've suffered persecution for their faith. They didn't want to do anything that would put them at odds with the civil authorities. And now the preacher, the author, puts before the congregation there in Hebrews, Moses' parents as an example of believers who understand that their faith compels them. Now listen, their faith compels them just as it does you, that you must obey God rather than men. Just like the early church there in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Stop preaching the gospel. Be silent. No, we respect you. The authority you have is invested in you by the living God. But we must preach Jesus Christ. We're under command. We're under orders. You see. And this faith of the parents was contagious. Because if you look down in 27, you see it foreshadows Moses' own faith. Where did Moses learn the fear of the Lord? Where are your kids going to learn the fear of the Lord? Fox News? Amazon Prime? The academy? The university? The public school system? Politicians in Washington? Are they going to catechize your children? Oh, they're going to catechize them. They're going to catechize your children. But they're not going to catechize your children in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But in Hegel and Marx, Darwin, Epicurus, whoever, whatever pagan philosopher you want to think about. Moses learned the fear of the Lord from his parents. Secondly, the second example, Moses' faith is found in verse 24. The preacher considers Moses as an adult and his his status. What kind of status did this beautiful child have? Notice what it says there. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We can only imagine what growing up as royalty in Egypt must have been like for Moses. Privilege, enjoying all the finer things Egypt had to offer. But rather than gain the whole world... Rather than gain the whole world of Egypt and all the luxury and lose his own soul, he chose Jesus. He chose Jesus. Moses laid it all down by faith, renounced the claims as a prince in Egypt. But notice the Holy Spirit reminds us that it was not only what Moses said no to. This gets back to this Titus text that's working in the background of the sermon. In your mind, in your heart. Grace appeared, teaching us to say no to certain things and yes to others. Moses' faith was not merely passive. Notice what he chose to do. Verse 25, rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, saints, it's one thing to reject the riches and the luxuries and the royalty of Egypt, but quite another then to embrace and cast one's lot with a despised an enslaved people. By siding with the Israelites, Moses was saying no to all the pleasures and joys of Egypt, all the luxuries, all the comfort that Egypt had to offer. Now, that's not easy. But by faith, Moses saw through, now listen, he saw through the fleeting pleasures, the ephemeral, temporary pleasures. Pleasures of sin. Because there's, there's pleasure in sin for a season. Let's be real. That's what makes it so attractive. There's an aesthetic. There, there's something attractive to our Adamic nature about sin. But Moses, by faith, saw through this and decided to hook his wagon to the people of God. For, verse 26, he, Moses, considered the approach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. You've got Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 operating right now in your mind. Going, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's a future. It's a future reward. It's the carrot at the end of the stick to be crass, right? It's the reward for those who endure. Church, you can endure. You're suffering. You're struggling. You're vacillating. You're, you're, you're waffling. You can endure, and he lists this hall of faith, this this portrait gallery of of family members who've gone before us, who, who ran the race with faithfulness, who endured, who did a lot of calculating, who did a lot of considering the temporary fleeting nature of sin and the eternal everlasting rewards of heaven. And Moses said, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus all day long, 24-7, 365, I'll take him. For I've tasted of the Lord, right? It's not just a, a, a t-shirt, a bumper sticker on my car. Taste and see that the Lord is good, you see. He's tasted, he knows this. He knows the fleeting pleasures of sin. He rejects the temporary He looks to the future, the eternal riches that came with knowing and walking with God. As Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep. What are you going to keep? What are you going to keep? Are you going to keep that fat checking account, savings account? Is that going with you when you go to Bliley's? I don't think so. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Moses' embrace, the reproach of Christ, must have surely resonated with these readers here in Hebrews. You see, the readers know that Moses can sympathize with them and their desire for acceptance and security. Right, the, the temptation that every believer this side of the new heavens and new earth wrestles with, where we make the temporary ultimate. Right, that this world starts to become what's ultimate. We struggle with that every day. And he's putting before them Moses. See, and Moses struggled with this as well, but he chose Jesus Christ. And that while the pleasures of sin are real, we must remember they're fleeting. Thirdly, the example of faith in Moses is found in verse 27. This refers to Moses fleeing after killing an Egyptian taskmaster whom he saw beating a fellow Israelite. We're told there in verse 27, By faith he, Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. You see, once the killing of the Egyptian taskmaster became known, it became public knowledge, Moses is like, w- what have I done? He's, he's nervous. He knew and he had to flee. Interestingly, though, it says here in Hebrews, by faith Moses left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. Not being afraid in Hebrews, but in Exodus 2.14, Moses' own words, he penned them himself because he wrote Exodus. It says Moses, literally, Moses was afraid and fled. So which is it? You need to be a careful reader of the Word of God. Are you reading it carefully? Which is it? Did Moses flee in faith or did he flee in fear? I think it's safe to say that while it's true that Moses was afraid of Pharaoh's wrath, Exodus 2.14 is clear, It's also true, now listen, it's also true true, that his fear was not what was ultimate in his life. Fear was not the dominant motive to flee. His faith was the dominant motive, the ultimate motive that led him to leave Egypt. Saints, the original audience would have been familiar with Moses' struggle here with fear in Exodus. Exodus. And just like every saint before and after him, Moses' fear, now listen, this is where it's going to resonate with you, Moses' fear did not extinguish his faith. Why do I say that? Can I back that up? That's a pretty audacious claim, isn't it? Listen to Psalm 56.3. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. You see, church, every saint, true saint of God, regenerate by the Holy Spirit, who's been a Christian for a minute, knows that fear and faith can cohabitate in the same heart. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. He flees. He flees trusting Jesus. God, you've got me. You're going to protect me. You're going to watch over me. I'm going to flee into the wilderness, but you've got me. I'm going to go to your school there in the wilderness for 40 years, the seminary, the best one, 40 years. But God, you've got me. You're my God. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm your son. You're my father. You do all things well. I trust you. You see, you see, saints, if you know anything about your own heart, then you know that fear and faith can at times dwell in the same heart. But as great as Moses' fear was, his faith enabled him to endure. How? How did he endure? We're told there that Moses by faith, notice what it says, he saw him who is invisible. Well, how did he see him? he see him with the cornea and the retina and the right and the left eye? No. He saw them with the eyes of faith. He saw this God who is invisible, who through the word of his power created all things out of nothing. And where did he learn this fear? Who first catechized Moses in the fear of Yahweh? His parents. Dedge, did you hear that? We need to be catechizing our children. Again, we need to be instructing our children. It's not yours to produce the fruit, but it's yours to be faithful to sow it, to sow the seed and leave the results to God, entrusting Him in His covenant. Fourth, by faith, regarding Moses in verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover, and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer, of the firstborn, might not touch them. By faith, Moses and Israel believed that God would inflict this tenth and final plague on Egypt where God, the destroyer, the destroying angel, would come forward and destroy all the firstborn throughout the land. But by faith, Moses and Israel also obeyed God's instructions and thus were saved because they placed the blood of, the, of the, the chosen lamb over the doorpost of the houses. So when the destroying angel came through the neighborhoods, weeping and crying throughout all of Egypt, the house of Israel was spared because they were covered by the blood. Beloved, are you covered by the blood? Not the blood of a lamb, of a goat, a ram. Are you covered by the blood of Jesus? Are you resting, resting, resting? in the joy of what he is and what he's done and his blood being spilt for you. We're told that by faith they were saved just as God had promised. Exodus 12, 13, Thus saith the Lord, When I see the blood I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. Now all of this typologically foreshadowed Christ, didn't it? We're told there in Corinth, First Corinthians, that Christ, the Passover lamb, has been slain for us. Well, that's just kind of walking through the text, but I want to spend the remainder of my time this morning reflecting with you further about how Moses came to choose to be mistreated with the people of God and to suffer with Christ rather than the riches of Egypt. How did he do that? How did he do it? Again, as we said, while a son in Pharaoh's daughter's house, he had all that the world had to offer. He had money without limit. He had authority. He had fame. He had power. He had access to, to the best and finest the world had to offer. Sensual pleasures beyond anything we could imagine. All of it was there for Moses for the taking. Now, we might see a movie or a video or do something on the Internet. We shouldn't be doing it, and it's not really there. It's just ephemeral. It's just... Pixels on a screen. No, it was there for Moses. He could reach out and touch it. He saw the gold. He saw the power. He saw the glory of all that Egypt had. It was there for the taking. And it was his by right. Because he was Pharaoh's daughter's son. It was there for Moses to take and enjoy and yet, we're told that he turned it down. And I believe it's important for us to remember this as we reflect and think upon how Moses came to this decision, how he made this choice. I believe it's important to remember that Moses' decision did not happen in a vacuum. Right? So often we read the Bible and we don't think about these folks being real human beings. Right. They're just cartoonish kind of figures, superheroes, right, who don't have the same struggles and the same desires that I have. No, Moses is a real person. He's a sinner who needs a Savior. He didn't just wake up one day and say, Egypt stinks. Money is worthless. And power is for sissies. And who likes sex anyway? You think he just got up one day on a Thursday and said, this is all for naught. No, that's not how we work. That's not how we function as human beings, fallen in need of redemption and redeemed. But rather, something else had captured Moses' mind and heart. Moses began to calculate it and view his life through a different lens. He had a new set of glasses on, as it were. He began to see life through, the, through the, the lens of God's word. He began to see things as they really are in reality. He began to see him who is invisible by faith. And he began by faith to believe it and start making choices that were congruent to that belief. You see, this is how he did it. Because I think if you look at verse 26... You find something of a key. As Gordon MacDonald said, you, you might just take a key and unlock it. Sometimes the text will do that for us. Look at verse 26. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for or because he was looking forward to the reward. right? Having the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen we're told in verse 25 that even though fleeting, there's pleasure in sin to be found. And there was pleasure in the treasures of Egypt. So the question is, how did Egypt's treasure and all its promises lose its grip on Moses' thinking and heart? We could ask the same question of ourselves this morning regarding our own hearts. How will the fleeting pleasures that you have to sin lose their grip on your heart how is it magic dust the elders have we just want to be judicious in the way we hand it out how are you going to find victory over besetting sin And over the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. How are you going to find victory? Verse 26 Moses, now listen, he did some calculating. He took out his calculator. We're told that he considered, he regarded, he did the calculation. And he regarded the suffering that comes with Christ and his people of to be of greater wealth than anything Egypt had to offer. By faith, he made what you could say was a mental chart. Follow me now. Right? You've done this. You've got a big decision before you, right? Where to live, where to work, where to go, what church to go to, what, you know, whatever. Who to marry, who not to marry, right? He made a flow chart, if it were. On one side, he put... The treasures of Egypt. You follow me, guys? Treasures of Egypt. On the other side, the reproach of Christ and the treasures of heaven. Treasures of Egypt had everything to offer. They were seen. They were were tactile. They were right there for the taking. He could take it. He could taste it. He's Pharaoh's son, grandson, but fleeting. On the other side, Moses saw all that Christ had to offer, presently unseen but eternal. And you know what he did? He chose Jesus. Saints, by faith, he considered the light and momentary afflictions of this life not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed with us. You see the future aspect of his calculation, of his decision? Are you following me? He's weighing them in the balance, the balance of his heart, just like it is in your heart. Treasures of Egypt, the world, or the treasures of Christ? By faith, Moses said to himself, Better to be Christ's fool and lose the world but gain heaven than to gain the world and lose your soul." You see, saints, at the end of the day, now follow me, a greater love and pleasure enabled Moses to say no to all lesser loves and fleeting pleasures. The same is true for you. You know what's going to drive out that besetting sin? Only a greater love for Jesus. Only a greater appreciation for what he's done for you. A greater recognition and acknowledgment of who you really are outside of Jesus Christ and what he's really done for you. Right? Just like all lesser loves have to be disposed of when you meet your true love. Right? When I met Catherine, all lesser loves went to what? Went to the waste basket Because I had found my true love. And I set my love on her. And she on me. Who wouldn't give up fleeting pleasures for eternal ones? Moses, by faith, set his sight on the promised eternal reward of God's future blessing. And when he did, he found power to say no to sin and fleeting pleasure. And found power, real biblical power, because he found the Holy Spirit who enabled him to say no to sin. Because the grace of God has appeared, teaching us to say no to ungodliness. And yes, to righteousness and godliness. That he could do this while he waited and looked forward to the Messiah who was to come. So, beloved, how much more should we, upon whom God has spoken in these last days, with a better word than the word Moses had? He's spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, Moses knew the pull and power of sin while in Egypt. It's not easy, it never is. The siren of worldly lust called to Moses just as it calls to you and I today. It promises you everything but delivers nothing. And in the end, you know what sin leaves? Pain, heartache, guilt, and a fearful expectation of judgment. That's what it gives you. It promises you the world. And for a moment, Fleeting, ever so fleeting, there's joy or supposed joy in it. But it leaves us fearful, expecting the judgment of God. So how did Moses endure? By faith, he saw him who was invisible. He considered all the world had to offer. And looking it in the face, and by faith, he said, no, I'm going to go with Jesus. I'm all in with him. Right? The very thing Paul said there in Philippians chapter three: "Whatever else I have to gain pedigree, riches, honor, fame, power, sensual pleasure, whatever you name it. I count it all as loss. I count it as rubbish. And, and that's a polite way to say it. It's dung. He counts it as dung that he might gain Christ, having found and being found in him, having a righteousness that comes not through the law, but through faith on all who believe. This is God's math. (laughs) This is the math that the Christian employs with his heart, his mind, his soul, his strength, everything about him. You see, church, the world, the flesh, and the devil is lying to you today, just like it did to Moses. Contentment and internal pleasures don't come through disobeying God. You were made for more than anything this world could ever give you. That's why your heart is restless, and it will continue to be restless until it rests solely in Him, because you were not made for things. You were made for God to glorify God, and what? To enjoy Him forever. You see, this is what you were made for. This is your telos, your purpose. By faith, Moses overcame the world and its deception and lies. So how about you this morning? 1 John 5:4: For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That is, they overcome the treasuries of Egypt. And all the allurement, all the siren calls of the world, the lust, the power of lust, by faith. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So I leave you with this. While the the consummation of the reward awaits us in the new heavens and new earth, it's also true that the Christian has a down payment already. The down payment of the Holy Spirit who now indwells you. John ten ten. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. When? In eternity? No. It's in the present tense. I've come to bring you life today. That you might have life today. That you might have living water. That's never, the spigot's never cut off. That you might come and buy and eat that your soul may live without money, without cost. And it's all, how do you get it? It's by faith by marinating, by pursuing God, by diligently seeking Him, for He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. You see, this God bids us to come and to know Him, to feast with Him, to dine with Him. Power to say no by faith. Consider and look to Christ and keep your eyes fixed on Him and His eternal pleasures. Immerse your heart, soul, mind, and strength in getting to know him through his word. Listen to Psalm 1611, and I conclude with this. David says, in your presence there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Presbyterians don't take that very seriously. But God does. We think, well, in your presence there's a stoicism. And at your right hand are frowns. That's not what the Word of God says. I'm going to roll with my God and His Word. In His presence, there's fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Blessed be the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, church. Amen. Let's pray. Our God, there is none like you. We worship, we praise you. We thank you, God, that you are your own reward. Heaven would not be heaven if you're not there. You are the pearl of great price. You are the treasure in the field that we sell all to have. Our God, would you give us faith to count all as loss, that we might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that's through the law. What a righteousness that comes by faith alone, in Christ alone, all to the glory of God alone. We pray this in your name. Amen.